off the record, on the rocks. All right, everybody, welcome back to another Off the Record, On the Rocks with my friend, Mr. Ancarino Lara. How are you doing, sir? Doing great, Mr. Michael Toner. Happy start of the winter-ish. I feel like we're entering the for real holidays, which uh, is always fun. Nice smells in the air. Coming off of Halloween, still rocking my Mario stash. I'm going to keep it into November. Uh, And today, November 2nd, Fed Chairman Jerome Powell, uh, 75 basis points, another move, another indication of what the Fed is is doing, uh, making it more expensive to to, to borrow, um, and markets reacting to that. So all of this, we're going to take this theme of what's happening in the world, uh, tie it into crypto, tie it into Web3, and there's just so many use cases of crypto continuing to go mainstream. Uh, what's your take on the Fed movement here, markets as we go into, as we go into winter? Yeah. I mean, I, I guess I shouldn't be surprised. I feel like I'm always surprised with the rate at which it happens. It feels like we just had an announcement and like the market quote just recovered and caught its breath. Then another, you know, another raise comes. Maybe that's the way they just they do things. But in my lifetime, this is the first time I've ever been aware and seen it go this way. Uh, I think is really powerful this time, though, is on the heels of the last quarter. The last quarter was a brutal one for a lot of American companies. You know, it really I feel like was the quarter that America as a as a business enterprise fully felt the effects of the Ukrainian war. Um, or the, sorry, I should say the war, the Russian war in Ukraine. Um, and when the companies are missing their numbers, you know, from the, the blue chips on down, gosh, the economy just starts sucking wind and people start having that bear market call and that haunting, you know, the specter of a recession coming. And it's going to be like the Great Depression and all the nonsense that's out there being, of course, purported on social media outlets everywhere, which I'm sure we'll get to. Um, but they, the third quarter ended and the third quarter wasn't that bad. Second quarter sucked, but the third quarter wasn't that bad. In fact, some numbers look better um, for some companies than they anticipated. And as you raise interest rates in an environment where the companies themselves are hitting their numbers are going above, well, we're seeing this macro effect of stock markets and the crypto markets responding positively, which I, you know, you can only hope, but the last time this happened, the markets did not respond in a positive way. It was a very negative trajectory. So I'm feeling... You know, I'm feeling starting to feel a little bit bullish about this Thanksgiving, Christmas. Maybe we will see a strong Black Friday, a, a strong Cyber Monday, and you know, a crypto Christmas. So, I mean, yeah, this is, I, it's, I think it's good news across the boards. I think we've talked about too just this timing of markets and these waves and the condensed cycles before. And you know, I I'm a big big follower of, of corporate earnings. I think we've talked about too. I love uh, used to anyway. Listen to uh, the quarterly earnings calls, dial in, and and actually hear. You know the uh, the CEO or the CFO get on and describe the forecast, and I know we've just come off of the big tech earnings. Most of the big companies missing. I think Zuckerberg took a few beatings in the market, specifically related to the two billion dollar miss. You know that they attribute to him trying to find or build the metaverse and and that that kind of bear mentality uh, that you described that the market sort of used that to react. It does feel like. At the same time, most of these big companies have, quote, adjusted forecasts, have already kind of taken the information over the last two or three quarters, this 
uh, right under the surface feeling of are we entering two consecutive quarters of, of uh, you know, recessionary type action. And they've taken appropriate measures. You've heard about layoffs in the market, tightening belts. I'm sure travel budgets for companies have been pulled back. And, and at the same time, you're right, the timing, these companies are now maybe faring better than it originally looked. The Fed at least making some indication here with the uh, perhaps slowing of, of the, the rate hikes as we go into November and into the new year. It, it just doesn't feel, uh, it doesn't feel like apocalyptic, right? Like it doesn't feel like it's this major, major meltdown of the markets. It feels like an adjustment, maybe to your point, like that final push out of all of the COVID mess and out of all of the supply chain mess. This is the bottom. Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, and, and something you just said, I think, is right, too, which is the adjustment of the forecasts that the companies themselves are not stupid and they're not going to try to maintain whatever trajectory they thought they might see this time last year as they get beat around quarter one, quarter two. And again, not every company, like you mentioned, Facebook, of course, taking a big L on their metaverse pursuits. Um, but the timing of how interest rate hikes affect most Americans is also seasonal. Because if you're talking interest rate hikes in, say, February and March, well, you're heading right into one of the biggest home buying seasons. And that's where people really feel the pain when they're trying to go borrow money to get a mortgage and buy a house. As you're heading into the holidays, you know, I historically, and I know this because of my own experience in trying to buy and sell properties over the years, is between January or even December and, say, January, February, most people aren't trying to pick up and move during the holidays. And as a result, you have that slump in the housing market. Now, they're already talking about slumps in the housing market because people aren't bidding or, you know, bidding, um, you know, hundreds of thousands over anymore. But it's also there's a lot less inventory on the market, right? People who've just redone the house they're going to flip probably are going to wait till the spring and people come out of this. And maybe at that time, the markets look different and money looks different. So at a time to make borrowing more expensive, I feel like the holidays are probably the best time the Fed could do that to, to cause the least amount of pain. Uh, as it pertains to just the average people. Now, that's, of course, what leaving credit cards and other things out. People just have to maybe be a little bit tighter with their spending. But that pandemic you talked about, the last point, yeah, you print trillions of dollars of money, and sooner or later, you're going to have to have as a reckoning. Um, you say that on one side of your mouth, but on the other side of the mouth, all the indices that I've looked at say, this holidays, consumers like want to go bigger than they've ever gone because they can travel where they want to travel. They can do whatever. So maybe the corporations are constricting those things like T&E budgets, but everyone I talk to, they're still planning Hawaii. They're still doing this. I'm like, Jesus, guys, like, the people are almost in this denial that, that there's anything bad happening and they want to just live their lives. So there's also that psychological effect. I think it's coming that maybe these hikes just aren't causing the same kind of psychological damage they did pre-COVID because people are like war, you know, they're hardened, they're battle hardened. Well, and maybe there's something else to, to throw a bit of a wrench in here, zooming out just a little bit into the, the full global market, the uh, the election here coming up in the U.S. next week, uh, the election in Brazil sort of taking a turn. We haven't talked about Putin. The war is still happening. Like there is still that macro, highest level macro uh, environment that everything we've just described, very U.S. centric, but markets globally, people and countries are hedging their bets. We've seen talk about crypto going mainstream, India rolling out the e-rupee. You said, <laughs> it's <laughs> fun to yell. Name. 
the era of yell <laughs> is now rolling out and talk about hedging bets right a global market we we've we've long talked about el salvador and what they were really the forefront leader on and you know bitcoin ethereum becoming more and more uh in the everyday conversation becoming mainstream you've got brands, everything we've been talking about with NFT projects, carrying crypto on their books. We've talked about McDonald's and Starbucks and all these guys where you can now transact in cryptocurrency. You know, what's your take on that, taking that from the macro level to what's happening in the global markets? And, you know, I just mentioned the election. I think there's there's a little tinge maybe of how important this midterm election actually could be from a market optimistic perspective. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's so many things in there that we can, so many things I can respond to and have thoughts about. But um, the first would be the, the notion of mainstream is something that when we, when we talk about it, generally speaking, when people that we interact with in the U.S., mainstream usually means mainstream United States, right? Like Bitcoin and Ethereum are kind of becoming household names in the same way that Coke and Pepsi, you know, were at one point sort of just these obscure little elixirs at the pharmacy. And now they're in everyone's corner store, right? So Bitcoin and Ethereum were kind of that strange thing that your friend's kid and his weird buddies talked about. But now suddenly, you know, even my mother asks, you know, should I be holding Bitcoin? Um, so mainstream in the US is pretty obvious. But for me, the indicators for the globe are what are really exciting because if you need mainstream global adoption, you need the most populous countries in the world to say, this is real. And not only this is real, but you know those big countries tend to be more authoritarian style governments. You're talking billions of people in India and in China combined. And those two countries said, hey, we have a CBDC, which remember stands for Central Bank Digital Currency, the e rupee and the e or the digital yuan, digital yuan not Juan, that's Korean, um, and saying, hey, we have a problem. Like underlying this all, what are the other layers, right? What's the problem? Well, just managing physical currency in countries that have north of a billion people is a mind-boggling logistical challenge that costs an untold number of resources. You're talking electricity, natural gas, infrastructure, building out huge buildings that have the lights on most of the time with security, and all the management that comes with that and all the then inherent corruption that comes with that from the teller who's taking an extra dollar or two to the you know cement company my brother-in-law used to make your bank fall. Um, so if you look at it from that perspective, it's like, wow, like basically three to four billion people are gonna be forced by their governments to use crypto. Yeah. They, they may not ever know they're holding Bitcoin and Ethereum because they're gonna be in these custodial wallet situations, but they are gonna be moving value digitally and as soon as half the world's population does that i mean america if if we can't get our shit together before india and china we will have missed a massive opportunity so bringing it back to these election cycles i think what really needs to be looked at more and i've done some looking but you're not seeing it on the tip of their tongue is what are these candidates positions on crypto yeah all the surveys are saying you know 60 percent of democrats 75% of Republicans polling, all, it's the vast majority of people say that they are, it was the way it was worded was like aware of or curious about crypto or something, pretty open in the question. But a lot of Americans are like, yeah, I want to know, I want to know more. Can you please tell us, government, what it is we're doing? Because gosh, I look over here across the globe and everybody has a plan, but you, no one here is talking about it. So for me, 
the macro is exciting, but at the same time, it's frustrating because I wish we were kind of more ahead of the game too. I think I'm, I'm just reading the headlines here. This India uses e-rupee to settle 2.75 billion rupees of government bonds. I think the utility, to use that word, in how mm-hmm. India is using this to to literally make the interbank market more efficient within their own country, where the e-rupee is literally going to be used as the, the settlement structure, right? That, that settlement in a central bank, reducing that transition, transaction cost because it is a settlement guarantee infrastructure, right? The, they, they can make a one-to-one and now it becomes faster, cheaper, more efficient to, to literally process those transactions that you just described. I mean, my mind really opening up when you talk about like the lights are on, like there's power generating from a plant that flows all the way through to that light bulb. And not that, that the whole thing needs to be quote unquote on chain, but the cost value second by second by second to actually transact and pay for that electricity is hard. It becomes expensive just to keep track of who's buying what, right? That's where I think the digital currencies, the the blockchain and the efficiency that it brings, you're right. I mean, America, we've got to look at what candidates at least understand the implications for this as a global currency. And that sort of moves the needle even beyond this US centric focus. But this really truly becomes, you know, a a global currency that, that works anywhere you go and you don't need to trade in your dollars for pounds or dollars for rupees or uh, un- understand an exchange rate. It just becomes you know, one Bitcoin is one Bitcoin or one Satoshi is one, one Satoshi. One Bitcoin. That's it. Uh, it's, it's really fascinating just to keep us yeah, going on the, you think about, okay, sorry, I didn't cut you off. Go ahead. Since it keeps going on the mainstream piece of this, I, I think the, I, we, we mentioned El Salvador and, and what they were doing in terms of, of, uh, of crypto and moving to Bitcoin. And we've got a, a brand that kind of, stepped into this world here with MoneyGram debuting its crypto purchases on its mobile app. And I think there's a really interesting take here on MoneyGram, a traditional wire money wiring service. Uh, you know, what, what uh, bring us back here. We're at, we're at the global macro level of what countries are doing. And here's MoneyGram stepping in to say, Oh, we love crypto. Yeah, I mean, I, what I was just going to say is, you know, we, Everyone, everyone hates crypto. Everyone talks bad about crypto and then everyone flip-flops, everyone acquiesces. It's just a question of when, as soon as the tidal wave of interest and of customer sentiment overwhelms them. And I was going to say, you know, in the United States, that ACH transfer of money still takes three full days to recognize. What do you, I can't even imagine what the, the delay is in China or India. If you were to walk you know, in and say, I want the- all my money. The National Automated Clearinghouse, NACHA, is the association that runs ACH transactions. It's an aside, but okay. National Automated Clearinghouse takes three days. So, and I think that's a U.S. entity, probably yeah. pals with the government and the bankers, the same way the IRS and the Fed are. Um, but yeah, three days, right? Just to, to move my $10 to you to clear all the gates. Three to five, depending on the amount. Three to five. 
right? Three to five. So if, imagine that's what we're dealing with today. We somehow think that's okay and normal. We've gotten to the point where we just accept that to be a truth, even though we know that that's deliberately built out to build in all kinds of third parties and all kinds of it builds you know, in bureaucracy, it builds in paper shuffling, it builds in a way to to charge fees. The American dream. Builds the American dream. So now I'm thinking, hey, I'm in India. I'm in China. I want to go into the bank and get all my money. You think it's? An, you think there's a not an, an, an NACHA organization who's going to give it to me in three to five days? I bet you it's, a, it's way longer than that. If we have to wait three to five, I have a hard time imagining if you're in certain rural India getting any money with this month. So again, I could be totally wrong. I'm just saying it to make to be funny. This, of course, is not you know any kind of. Um, commentary on the banking systems of foreign countries. It's just a note that we wait three to five. I have to believe other countries wait even longer sometimes, or you can't even get your money out, period. Because remember, you know, sometimes here in the United States, we just say, oh, we're sorry, withdrawals are frozen. You can't even come get the money. So that macro effect of the movement of this value has caused American companies who rely specifically on their entire business model is on transaction fees. That's MoneyGram. That's Western Union. That's like, how do I get my money from here in California to El Salvador? Well, I go down to the Western Union, go down to MoneyGram, do the thing. So yeah, when MoneyGram came out with their app, like literally this week, and it's like, hey, everybody, remember us? We're the guys who like take forever to mail your money and we charge you these exorbitant fees to do it. Now we have an app and we love Bitcoin and we love other crypto. And they do that on the heels. Talk about bad second quarters and bad first quarters of American companies. Apparently, Western Union just ate it. Like, I guess Western Union is the number one uh, provider of, 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 of money into and out of El Salvador. You just mentioned El Salvador. We all know uh, President Bukele, big moves we talked about on the show from a years ago. You know, he wants to create the volcanic steam generated Bitcoin mining infrastructure, the entire Bitcoin city, Chivo wallets, Bitcoin ATMs. Buy your McDonald's cheeseburgers, buy your Starbucks coffee with your wallet, the whole thing. Apparently, it cost Western Union something like half a billion dollars on their balance sheet that they've lost because the El Salvadorians have gone to their new their new model. So no surprise MoneyGram shows up and just starts screaming and yelling about how they've been crypto forward all the time and you should be using our app. I mean, this is like after PayPal, after all these guys have acquiesced. So uh, to me, another strong indicator of these big headwinds coming. Sorry, big tailwinds pushing crypto into everyone this christmas just a, a random note i saw a headline the other day or i heard something on the news about biden's crackdown on junk fees from banks and i literally yeah. i mean i pay a lot of attention to the news and headlines matter and and i i i heard it and it went one in one ear and out the other i was like oh this is like this is some like lobbyist move. This doesn't make sense. And all, right here, right now, I just connected the dot, which is, yeah, if MoneyGram lost billions of dollars because they got disintermediated by cryptocurrency, and now here comes MoneyGram making announcements saying that now cryptocurrency, cryptocurrency purchases are going to be enabled, and that simultaneously you've got Biden saying we're going to have a crackdown on junk bank fees. You know, overdraft fees are ridiculous. And I, I mean, overdraft fees are ridiculous. If you do not have the money on your account, the bank should be able to know that, not let you charge it, and definitely not charge you a fee for just for processing the transaction on your behalf. That's a credit. Anyway, I could go on about that. But now it's making sense yeah. that this is how the federal government 
puts himself in a position to continue holding MoneyGram accountable because there will be some fees that they charge to access even a cryptocurrency transaction. It just can't be the $39 fee that they charge when you go to wire money to your relative. You know, it, it, it's now a gas fee. It's now an Ethereum fee. You know, it's that. Anyway, I just hadn't made the connection until I was like, yeah, I read this news about Biden cracked down on overdraft fees. But it's probably a full look at banks and transaction fees that are completely avoidable with the right technology. And that that's the way I'll think about that in terms of the blockchain makes those the the need for those arbitrary fees completely obsolete. Well, and I think like just to, to piggyback on what you said, it's also a, a warning. I mean, it's a bit of a warning shot across the bow uh, uh, and a reminder. I mean, it's a reminder shot if there's such a thing, which is, hey, big bank guys and feds, you know, you guys raise rates and you guys lower rates and you don't ask the permission of the government. Like, it's, it, you know, they sort of do stuff and you hear stories about senators, you know, writing letters saying, hey, maybe you shouldn't raise it so fast so quickly. And they're like, nope, we're going to raise it anyway. You know, there's the Fed kind of operates as its own entity, even if American presidents current and past like to say things like, well, I called the Fed and we blah, blah, blah. It's like, yeah, you could say all that stuff. But we all know the Fed just does what the Fed does. Like they're the ones who control the money in the banks in this whole in this whole uh, country, this whole system. And so the shot across the bow is, well, if JP Morgan, if, if Morgan Stanley uh, and your, you know, and Wells Fargo, Bank of America, and every other major bank that has a retail operation, meaning to customers like you and me, well, if they start adding crypto as offerings to invest in, as they're all saying, you can get slices and they'll make these ETFs and you're going to have a way to, you know, stake and all the, they're, they're talking all that DeFi talk, Absolutely. but it's centralized DeFi, right? It's still inside of their by the government. But if you start to float a $39 overdraft fee and I have a bunch of crypto in whatever account you're saying that I owe the money for, well, that's not going to fly, right? I mean, you're going to, like you said, it's just a gas fee. So the idea that like if MoneyGram, there's no way they're going to have those same, I have to actually probably download the app and check it out. But I would argue there's no way they're charging the same kinds of fees to move the crypto around. And that's going to set start setting precedents, right? You have the traditional ACH style transaction charges and wait periods. Well, those things all have to be looked at as you go to the blockchains, you go to instantaneous resolution of value exchange. Um, just the cost that they probably saved in India, making all those bonds converted however many billions, probably they just waited to the right time, right? They were probably able to do all that with very, very little money um, across the lightning networks or what have you. So, yeah, I mean, now I'm starting to think about all the stuff that's being said by Biden and company. Is there a second and a third narrative that's sort of paving the way for, for crypto precedent? So when our American CBDC comes out, the e-dollar or whatever it's going to be called, <laughs> that they already have this plan and they've already yeah. accounted for all the other companies already doing stuff both in domestic and international. Yeah, I think it's going to come down to like almost royalty fees that if you're a, a MoneyGram or a, a you know, a Western Union who who moves money across borders or into different currencies, quote unquote, there's going to need to be blockchain transparency on the premium that you're putting on top of the gas fee because now you're just acting as a custodian 
to, to move yeah. the fee, but there's really, and this is, you know, to the listeners, there's nothing stopping you as a user to just be your own custodian, that a non-custodial wallet. You, be your you, own bank. Yeah, be your own bank, exactly. And, and then you'll avoid the fees. You then take that responsibility. I'm going to pull that thread all the way back, sticking on the geopolitical, and then we'll kind of drill down into what's happening in the tech world to, to help drive this technology. But sticking at that that global macro level and the use of this technology and what we just talked about, about being your own bank, the Chinese central bank and the digital yuan, which I know we touched on a little bit ago, but one of the biggest value propositions that they're really bringing to the market, to the user is this privacy protection as sort of the top issue of, you know, how they're pushing this as the national digital currency is, is, how did you say they phrased it is uh, uh control um, yeah go for it it's called control controllable anonymity it's a very what does that funny mean? twisted phrase <laughs> what does so, that mean so the interesting thing well the interesting thing about this is you know one of the and and privacy while not being a very sexy you know part of the crypto industry it is i think going to become one of the most important and there are going to be some huge companies who can crack this nut and make a lot of a lot of value for their themselves or their shareholders, but you know the big challenge for a company, a country like China, you're talking multiple billions of people. Uh, you're talking about a, com- a country that, generally speaking, is private in, in terms of the, the way that the world views them. There's a lot of privacy issues right now in China. They've been testing all these things like face tracking for people crossing streets in certain towns, where they'll send you a jaywalking ticket without even having a police officer interact with you. There's all these concerns about people, you know, and how people are wearing masks and. You know, what, what is what is your, you know, your digital footprint look like in China? How, how important is privacy? Well, in order to go full Bitcoin, full Ethereum, full any cryptocurrency today means that all these transactions are public, right? Where it's all on chain. So the Chinese government stepping in as a layer of privacy, a layer of controllable anonymity, meaning if you want to be anonymous, you can and you can control these things, um, which, of course, means to your fellow citizens, not to the government. They'll know everything. That's why it's not completely private. Um, but in, you're not going to get a bunch of people in China, I don't think, excited about this unless they can protect. Like, they're not – I'm not paying you back for bowling on Venmo and letting all my friends see it. Like, a lot of those Chinese apps don't work that way, like Weibo and WeChat and stuff, where it's a kind of an all-in-one app. You know, I'm almost like threads us back to Silicon Valley as an all-in-one app. Everyone wants to crack that nut. China already has a couple of them, and uh, they're not like these wild – public displays of rejoicing and spending money. It's about you and a very tight knit group of people. So in order for that full adoption to occur, I, I think it's really smart. They're coming out and saying, yeah, we are going to create the digital yuan, but it's going to not be public chain in a way that's, uh, you know, that most other cryptocurrencies are talked about. I think it's fascinating. And again, just another step that the Chinese authoritarian government uses to control the finances of all their um, citizens. And now they don't even have to do that by monitoring what's going, who's going to and from the banks. You know, they've already had people boycotting at banks, like coming there demanding they could withdraw money because they were freezing, freezing them out from doing withdrawals during these crises. So this is their other way, I think, of saying like, hey, now you don't have to worry about the bank freezing you out because you have this nice little app. It's like another control mechanism, but it's positioned quite well, I think, in terms of crypto. Yeah, I think especially for American listeners, that that idea that you just described, that behavior of using a single app 
to a, a WeChat type environment where you you can both order food, order your groceries, pay your bills, make your phone calls, do your DMs, share your videos without leaving that single interface. Everything about who and how you transact and the transaction can happen within that single environment. I mean, that is the most beautiful segue into Mr. Elon Musk closing the deal with the little blue bird, freeing the bird with the acquisition of Twitter and being very transparent about his intentions to make it the next X app, I think is what he called it, the next super X app. Because, and I just think, you know, you called it the original metaverse a year ago. You called it the original metaverse where you walk down the hallway and you got to pop in and see from and hear from and transact from with whoever you wanted to, whichever doorway, I remember you describing it, whichever doorway you want to go down in that Twitter stream. And I'll pull that through to TikTok short form video, YouTube short form video, every brand, every marketer trying to now solve short form video, what it means for e-commerce to Elon trying to revive Vine <laughs> and and pull that thread all the way through to is Twitter right there on the launch pad to be the next super app powered by Dogecoin where you can transact in cryptocurrency, own your identity with your PFP, mint your NFTs in cryptocurrency and order Papa John's pizza to show up at your front door using my Starbucks rewards points. Ooh, man, you, you couldn't have said it better. But yeah, I think that time will tell, but Jack Dorsey might have misplayed his hand. I think Jack Dorsey believed that uh, the underlying technology of Block, which he went off to go form as a Bitcoin you know, only entity, was really the point of purchase and transaction and solving kind of a lot of in real life problems uh, and to bring Web3 to people everywhere, but maybe forgetting that he had created the original metaverse all along and that Block without Twitter is actually missing one of the core components. And like you said, AppX, well, maybe AppX is the only way you can get access to your SpaceX rocket, your Falcon Heavy that's going to take you up to your, your, you know, your next place that you're going to travel with Elon. Um, yeah, I think Elon knew it all along. It, the Twitter stream, especially as you talked about spaces, you know, it, it's like I'm not, not only am I now just going down my feed looking for what door I want to knock on and jump into. When I do, I'm actually in a space where there is a live event happening. And there are other people who are attending this. Now, sure, they're looking at it on their phone or on their laptop, mostly their phone, and they're exploring and experiencing a metaverse-like experience. Right. It just is missing what I think everyone mistakes for the metaverse, which is some giant set of goggles over <laughs> their head like Ready Player One. Ready Player One might not be till 50 years from now. I mean, we're talking about dystopian future of people in like shanty towns wearing special vests and headsets for multiple hours a day. You know, we all have this device on us 24 hours a day. And this is going to be access to spaces with live events, with artists dropping NFTs to us because we're verified and logged in and effectively in attendance, you know, uh, do I need to walk up and bump my phone against, you know, the Starbucks kiosk in order to get my coffee? No, like you said, 
I'm going to be in one app and I'm, all of a sudden things are going to start coming to me because my Uber is linked to my food, linked to my kids' education, to my bank, to everything, all in one. And kind of for better or for worse, a way to communicate broadly, quickly, and to attract groups of people who are like-minded is kind of what the metaverse needs in order to get going. Otherwise, you just have a whole bunch of rooms that no one knows about that are quiet and you can't explore and discover. So. <laughs> I think I think Elon scooped Dorsey. Dorsey's like maybe he doesn't care. He's off doing his Bitcoin maxi thing. But I think Elon really hoodwinked old Zuckerberg, who had all those pieces that he was juggling just a few years ago. You know, he has Instagram. Gosh, he has WeChat. That's more powerful than Twitter, isn't it? I don't know. Then like let's make Libra our own cryptocurrency. Oh, let's go buy Oculus. Let's go. And to me, Zuckerberg is starting to sound more like Ellison and these old Silicon Valley dinosaurs were don't build anything anymore. They don't build, they just buy and try to assemble these mismatched parts. It's not even like Legos. They have a rector set and Lego and Lincoln log and And other spend all of their time dealing with integration issues to try to make it connectors. And what does Elon do better than anybody? He does first, first principle problem solving. And I just, I think, I think there's so many places to go with, uh, yeah, that scoop on, on Meta. We talked about they missing earnings. Everyone was, uh, you know, really focused in on the price that Elon was going to pay for Twitter. And maybe, you know, four or five years from now, all of a sudden it looks like another sweetheart deal bought at the bottom of the market. If it can become that, that, that town square, you know, in order to have a market, in order to have a place to transact, bring it back to first world principles, bring it back to when there were no currencies. We've talked about this on the show before, when you had to go to a town square and you had to trade, you had a piece of, of wood that you had carved or a chair that you had made or some, some clothing, you know, cotton that you had pulled from your, your farm to create fabric. And you had to trade and barter and transact in a public town square. What is Twitter? What has it always been referred to as the public town square? And today, and a lot of the news around the acquisition focused in on Trump talking about truth and is Twitter still respectable? And a lot of journalists rely on Twitter to find news immediately because it is a global town square. Now layer in everything else we just talked about, the metaverse experiences, the Twitter spaces, the cryptocurrency payments, you know, you know, Dogecoin is going to be accepted as a form of currency on Twitter. Absolutely. 100% that is happening. Um, And in the Twitter spaces, that dialogue, that audio dialogue that came uh, during the pandemic Clubhouse was kind of the forefront of that. Then short form video. Now you've got Vine coming. Twitter's already nailed Twitter spaces. What could you do to get on a Twitter spaces and start selling to the masses? You're an artist and you want to have a your community show up and have a live mint session where you're painting the painting there on the screen, on video, where everyone can see you doing it. And then All right, guys, I'm done with this first one. We're going to mint the first one of one of my new collection. Thank you all for watching it. Go ahead and for 0.05 Ethereum, you can mint it right here in the feed and then tweet it out to your followers so that everyone can see. And I'll be back in 10 minutes with the second iteration of this painting. 
that's a global marketplace that you can now transact in. That's, that is a version of the metaverse that I think Elon will set out to build. I mean, that just hearing describing that, um, I feel like someone's probably tried to do what you just described in a Twitter space already. I mean, the way you describe the hustle and like the, the auctioneer voice, you know, it feels like a home shopping network ad, you know, where it's, if you, Hey, we've got 12 minutes till the hour. If you call in now, we'll give you the whole set of Bowie knives and throw in a samurai sword yeah. or whatever they, you know, they're doing. Retweet um, this three times, tag three of your friends and I'll give you a proof of attendance NFT and it can drop straight to your NFT wallet there on Twitter. The in app, the super app functionality that I think he can build into that everything i mean the the doge angle too is one that i know you have of course all the the doge followers hyped about i there i saw there was some lift initial lift when elon bought it um but to pull something that you said that i didn't even think about is is it, uh, yeah of course you know everyone's going on about the 44 billion he wants to pull out and say it's worth less because there's bots and there's this and the market's tanking and they're like suing him to go through with the acquisition basically suing him so he can come in carrying a sink and fire everybody. Um, and I remember when Zuckerberg, when Zuckerberg uh, bought uh, uh, Instagram, and I remember at that time when it was around two and a half or billion dollars or whatever it was, it was unthinkable. And then when WhatsApp came on his heels for 19 billion, it was like, well, that's what? again, unthinkable. And now this at 44, I think you're right. In the rearview mirror, fast forward, revise, revitalizing Vine, or just, I guess, you know, resuscitating it. Um, you know, we haven't talked hardly at all about Periscope, but Periscope was an app that I actually used for a period of time more than Twitter. Because you talk about citizen journalism, the town square, like when there was some strange event, like a low flying blimp by the beach or whatever, I thought, wow, wouldn't it be cool to share this like right now with my friends? I don't want to make a video and send it. I'm just going to film live. Let's just see what happens. And of course, then the Twitter network notifies everybody, hey, he's live broadcasting. Right. I'm starting to think, well, Twitter Spaces already introduces that. Periscope kind of creates this outdoor external thing. Like the short form videos, we all know TikTok basically said, hey, these little snippets of songs with people dancing. And of course, all the other things that have proliferated from that are wildly valuable. And let's not forget, as Americans here, this is that's a Chinese-owned company and backed company, and they're mining massive amounts of U.S. data. So, is that something that a guy like Elon's going to sit on the sidelines and just let happen? No, I mean, in some ways, he's almost he's almost like a crazier patriot than even some of the people we think who are crazy patriots. And yeah, I think that all the the, the new last point that you mentioned around people worried about bringing back on the haters, you know, like. Is Kanye going to be reinstated? Are all the, you know, um, the MAGA maniacs going to be reinstated? Are all these, you know, we're just going to turn into an absolute chaotic, the challenge will be, yes, it will turn into a chaotic ball of noise unless some people are very careful in how they curate everything. So the town square, remember in the old days, the town square had the people selling their goods, but they also had the pillory where there would be someone who wasn't behaving right, locked up, and everyone could just go and smash eggs in their face. So there was a lot of hate in the town square too. Um, are we going to be a, a culture that supports both? The way the current winds are blowing, I mean, I, I could see a scenario where CNN and these guys take their Twitter handles off the broadcast because there's so much negative publicity about the speech on Twitter. And when they do that, God, maybe the, the tail will stop wagging the dog, right? Like you said it. You said that people, journalists now are going to Twitter to get their news. 
Whereas it used to be people went to Twitter to see somebody retweeting a news article. It's like now the orientation of the flow of that news has switched. And I think we just don't know what the outcome is going to be, but I, man, it's, um, I feel like we're at a, a precipice where Twitter is either going to crater famously and Elon will have made the worst purchase of his life, or we're going to see that this is going to be the most sentient, the most prescient move. It's going to deep six meta and Facebook's grasp on all this stuff. At the same time, there's nothing in between. It's going to be very, I think, very binary experience for us. Well, we can leave it there, sir. It's been a pleasure. Off the record, on the rocks.